By the way, if you are new, not just to Thrive Church, but you're new to church generally, maybe never stepped into a church before, never checked out a church before, maybe you're just curious, you're exploring, you got questions, we're just so thrilled that you're here. And we hope that regardless of your background, that you would make yourself right at home here at Thrive Church. And if we can help you in any kind of way, pray for you in any kind of way, you can always let us know by emailing us at info at thrivechurch.ca. We'd absolutely love to hear from you. Would you turn to your and say, I'm so glad you're here. We're so glad that you're here because right now we're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called, Is It Love? Everyone say, Is It Love? And Is It Love is a series that's all about relationships. And in particular, what we're doing is we're uncovering some of the biggest misunderstandings that keep us from real love in our relationships. These are misunderstandings that we bring into our approach to relationships. These are also misunderstandings that we get into when we're in relationships that keep us from experiencing real love. How do you move away from those misunderstandings toward a healthier, happier way of doing relationships where you can experience more real love? That's what we're talking about in this series. And I don't know about you, but I find this. We can all use help when it comes to relationships. And for example, Albert Einstein was one of and known to be one of the greatest scientific minds the world has ever seen. When you think of genius, you think of Albert Einstein. And he was, of course, brilliant in coming up with his theory of relativity. But let me tell you this. When it came to relationships, you could make the argument that Einstein was just as clueless as any one of us. See, according to historians who've studied Einstein's life, back in 1914, Einstein was married to a woman called Maliva. And he and his wife, their marriage was falling apart. And so Einstein decided to do something. He decided to give his wife a list of conditions that she needed to meet if they were going to stay together. And this is how that list went, at least a part of it. Part A says... Uh, And imagine you're Einstein's wife and you are reading this letter. You will make sure that my clothes and laundry are kept in good order and that I'll receive my three meals regularly in my room and that my bedroom and study are kept neat and that my desk is left for my use only. Part B, you will renounce all personal relations with me unless they are completely necessary for social reasons. Specifically, you will forego one, my sitting at home with you and two, my going out with you. Part C, you will obey the following points in your relations with me. Number one, you will not expect any intimacy from me, nor will you reproach me in any way. Number two, you will stop talking to me if I request it. Number three, you will leave my bedroom or study immediately without protest if I request. Part D, you will undertake not to belittle me in front of our children, either through words or behavior. Imagine you are Einstein's wife and you're receiving a letter like that. Well, Shortly after being presented with this list, Maliva, Einstein's wife, left Einstein, took the children with her, and filed for divorce. She also ended up receiving all of Einstein's Nobel Prize money. What's the lesson in all of this? Is that you can be a genius in your field of study. You can be such an expert, so knowledgeable in your area of expertise, and still be dumb when it comes to relationships. Maybe that's why Paul, who's a church planter 2,000 years ago, when he's writing to a church in a city called Philippi, he says this to them. Read it with me. Philippians 1 verse 9 says, and this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. See, Paul, he's praying for this church that he's helped to lead in a city called Philippi, and he's saying, I pray that your love would abound more and more 
more in knowledge and depth of insight. In other words, he's saying, I pray that the way that you love one another would grow in depth of insight and knowledge. It's the idea that we need wisdom when it comes to how we relate to one another. We need wisdom when it comes to relationships. That's because love is not just a feeling. Love is a skill. And see, to love someone doesn't just take passion, but to love someone requires wisdom, insight, practice. In fact, that's really good news for all of us because it means that as you get to know yourself better and as you get to know your loved one better, as you practice loving one another in ways that really meet each other's needs, you can actually get better at loving others over time because love is a skill. Turn to you and say, it's a skill. Since love is a skill, today I want to talk to you about what is possibly the most important and yet at the same time the most underrated skill when it comes to love. Now, if you don't develop this skill, if you don't pay any attention to this skill, guess what's going to happen to your relationships? Your relationships will always hit a wall. But if you will get this skill down, let me tell you, it can game change your love life. It can be a game changer such that you will significantly improve the level of satisfaction you experience and your loved one experiences in your relationships. What is this message called? Today's message is called learning to connect better. The skill of giving and receiving relational bids. What's a relational bid? We're going to get to that in a bit. Right now, I want you to do me a favor. Everybody here in this place, both on-site and online, I want you to think of something with me, all right? I want you to think about someone important in your life where you wish that the relationship between you and that person could be better than it is today. Someone that means someone to you, something to you. Maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's your kid, maybe it's your boyfriend, it's your girlfriend, it's another friend, a coworker, where you wish the relationship was a lot better than it is right now. Do you have someone in mind? Everyone? Yeah? You have someone in mind? With that relationship in mind, how many of you can relate to this statement that I'm going to show you right now? Which is that this, during a typical day or a typical week, there just isn't enough time to have any meaningful connection with one another. Does that describe how you think about that relationship right now? The idea that both of you are so busy, you're both preoccupied with all the stuff that you're doing. And so even if you're living in the same house, it's like you're not really emotionally connecting. If you talk at all, you're just talking about business. You're talking about the kids. You're talking about the schedule for the week. But you're not really connecting on an emotional level. A lot of times you feel like you're two ships passing in the night. And so sometimes days, weeks, even months can go by without any real connection. Do you ever feel that way? See, do you ever feel that way when it comes to relationships? If you do, then you're not alone. And see, a lot of us, when we feel that way, we may be tempted to look at what's going on and think to ourselves, there's just not enough time in a day or not enough time in a week for us to have any meaningful connection together. If that's how you think, I want to submit to you today that maybe, just maybe, that is a misunderstanding. And that the truth is this, that every day contains opportunities for you to connect with your loved one. And the question is, do you notice those opportunities and do you capitalize on those opportunities? How do you notice them? How do you capitalize on them? Let's talk about that today. See, let me introduce you to two very special people. Their names are Dr. John Gottman and Dr. Julie Schwartz Gottman. They're a married couple that for years, in fact, for their lives, their whole adult lives, they've been studying how couples interact. And they've been studying what causes some couples to thrive and some couples to fall apart. And one very important part of their research was when many, many years ago, decades ago, they decided to set up what they call a love 
lab out in the University of Washington, not too far away from where we are today, in a very beautiful park-like setting, they rented an apartment suite. And that apartment suite had a beautiful view of the Seattle Space Needle. They fully furnished the apartment. They fully stocked the fridge. And they invited couples, one by one, to come into the suite. And with no instructions, they said, you know what? Just be yourselves. Just spend time here. Spend a day. Spend a weekend here. But just remember, we're watching you. And they've got cameras everywhere, they've got mics everywhere, and they would have some privacy but before 9 a.m. and after 9 p.m., all right? So they wouldn't watch them at every single moment of the day, but basically for 12 hours, from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., that's when they're watching. And they, of course, wouldn't do anything when they're in the bathroom either. But this is what's going on. They're watching couples. And over a course of years, they looked at 130 different couples who were in a very similar stage of life, all newlyweds, within three to six months, just got married, And they looked at each one of these couples and they're wondering, what are we going to find out by just watching these couples? At first, they're like, we're not finding out anything. There's like nothing meaningful here. This is just people living life. You know, people doing work on the computer. You know, people reading a book. People scrolling on their phone. People watching TV. Like, what's the point of all this? But then over time, as they looked a little more closely, they noticed that a pattern was emerging with every single one of the couples that was coming in. And that pattern was this, is that during the day, Often at multiple times in the day, one partner would try to initiate a moment of connection with the other partner. They would try to do something to get that partner's attention so they could connect on an emotional level, what we're calling today a relational bid. And that relational bid could, ne- could take the form of a question or a casual comment or even a sigh. <sighs> or it might be completely nonverbal. It might just be a touch. Or it's maybe sitting down beside the person. Or it's trying to make eye contact with the person. See, whatever that bid looked like, the goal was always the same. It was, I want to try to connect with you emotionally right now. And when that person would receive the bid, they would always respond in one of three ways. The Gottmans found that the first way that the other partner would respond is they would turn toward the bid. Is that they would acknowledge that this other partner is trying to get their attention and they would respond positively. The second way that a lot of people would, would, would respond is they would turn against the bid. Is that they would acknowledge that the person is trying to get their attention, but they would be angry about it. They'd be hostile about it. The third way that people would respond to the bid is they would turn away from the bid. Is that they would pretend that they didn't see or hear anything at all. And see, to illustrate, imagine that you right now are in a room with your loved one. You are at a desk. You're typing an email for work that you need to get out. Your loved one is sitting in a chair. They're scrolling on their phone. And all of a sudden, your loved one notices something on their phone, and they blurt out loud enough for you to hear, wow, that's interesting. Now, if that's you, and you're sitting at the desk doing your email, how do you respond? Well, you might say, well, it depends on how my mood is. depends on how urgent the email is. Fair enough. But according to the Gottmans, generally speaking, they found that the other partner would respond in one of three ways. The first is turn toward the bid. They would look up and say, yeah, what what, what you got there? What's what's so interesting? Turning toward. The second way is they would turn against. They'd say, would you be quiet? I'm trying to work. The third way they would respond is they would turn away. They would pretend as if they didn't hear anything at all, and they don't acknowledge the bid at all. Now, this might seem like such an insignificant, ordinary exchange, but you need to understand this, is that when one partner was saying, wow, that's interesting, they're not just making a comment, they're making a relational bid. What is a relational bid? You can write this down. A relational bid is an invitation from one person to another to connect on an emotional level. 
Now, you might do that verbally, you might do that non-verbally. You might do it casually, you might do it very formally. You might that do it in a planned way, maybe in a spontaneous way. You could be very subtle about it, you may be very obvious about it. Whatever it is, the, the idea is you are trying to make a connection with the other person on an emotional level. And so when your loved one says, wow, that's interesting, in a casual, subtle way, they're actually trying to get your attention. And they're trying to initiate a moment of connection with you and hoping you'll respond in a positive way. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to feel close to you. And guess what? How we tend to respond in these seemingly really small, insignificant moments actually has a huge impact over time on the relationship. For example, the Gottmans, they would follow these 130 newlywed couples into the next several years of marriage. Six, seven, eight, nine years later, they find that some couples are still together, they've got families, they're relatively happy. Some couples are still together, but they're not very happy. Some couples have already divorced. And when they compared what happened to these couples over time with what happened in the love lab year after year, they noticed this astonishing pattern is that if there was one massive difference between couples that stayed together and couples that divorced, it was in how they responded, not in conflict, in these big fights, but it was how they responded to these seemingly insignificant relational bids. So for example, couples who stayed together would tend to turn toward each other's relational bids, they said 86% of the time. So in other words, you got a couple in a room, one person bids the other, out of 10 times that that one person bids the other, you could count on the other person responding positively, turning toward that bid probably eight or nine times out of 10. It was a really high rate of a positive response, turning toward. That's for couples that stayed together. But for couples that didn't stay together, that couples that divorced, what they found is that they would out of 10 times respond only three times positively. 33% turn toward their partner. And see, with findings like this, the Gottmans uncovered what they now believe is quite possibly the biggest predictor of how happy and stable and lasting a couple will be. It's not actually how the two resolve big fights, as important as that is, but it's actually how two people tend to interact with one another and respond to one another in these little insignificant moments when there wasn't any obvious conflict. See, again, three ways that we can respond to a relational bid. Let's look at each one and look at the impact that each one has. The first is to turn toward a bid. This is where you acknowledge the other person's attempt to get your attention, to connect with on an emotional level, and you engage with it, and you do so positively. It could be as simple as one person says to the other, good morning, good morning. It could be something where one person tells a joke and the other person genuinely laughs or at least they go, ha, 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 that's funny. It could be one of you saying, hey, I got the job. And the other one's, oh, that's awesome, congratulations. It could be one person looking at their phone or looking on the TV and go, wow, look at this. And then it goes, what, what, what are you looking at? What's going on? It could be something where one person sighs. And the other person goes, hey, are you okay? See, these are all simple examples of turning toward a bit. And see, you're acknowledging the other person's attempt to connect with you on an emotional level and you're responding positively. And when you do that, that is so good for the relationship. See, when you do that, when you turn toward the other person, both parties feel good about each other. Both parties feel good about the relationship. The relationship grows. It gets stronger. And it's very much what the Bible means when Romans 12, 10 says it this way. It says, love each other with genuine affection. Take delight in honoring 
each other. It's about turning toward one another. But not just that, not only does it help when times are good, but when you turn toward each other often, it actually helps when times are bad. Do you know why? It says when you get into a conflict with your loved one, read your searches find that couples who turn toward each other's bids often, that when they are in a conflict, they'll actually get over it more easily. They'll actually get through it more quickly. And why? It's not necessarily because their conflict resolution skills are so much better. It's because they've built up all these positive interactions and positive feelings that help them get through the conflict. Because you all know this as well. It's a lot tougher to stay mad at someone when you remember how they listened to you really well earlier that day. It's a lot tougher to hold on to a grudge when you've already had a really good week of interactions together. It's a lot tougher to not laugh at their joke when you've been laughing at their jokes all week already. See, you could picture it this way. It's almost like every time you turn toward your loved one's relational bid, you are putting money in the bank. You're making a deposit, not into HSBC, not into TD, but you're making a deposit into your relationship bank or your love bank. And what happens is when you make those deposits into your love bank, when times get tough, when you get into a fight, when there's tension, you can draw on that bank without breaking it. That's called turning toward a bid. But there's a second way and a third way that we can turn on bids. And this is the second one. There's also turning against the bid. This is where you acknowledge that the other person is trying to get your attention, but you respond in a hostile way. For example, wife says to the husband, how do I look, honey? And husband's like, why do you always ask me that question? You look fine, all right? You look fine, all right? Stop asking me. Younger sister says to older sister, I don't understand this math homework. Of course you don't, stupid. Or husband says to the wife, hey, you know what? Let's go out for a snack. Wife says, is that all you think about, eating? Why can't you take better care of your body? You know, daughter says to mom, mom, guess what happened at school today? Can't you see him on the phone? Not now. You know, those are all examples of turning against a bid. Here's another one. Son says to dad, dad, I got a B plus on my project. B plus? Where's the A? (laughs) Staff member says to her boss, hey, do you have a minute? I just have a question. Sure, fine. Be really quick. I don't have all day. I can't be holding your hand all the time. You know, husband says to wife, I'm so tired. You're tired? Do you have any idea what I've gone through? Please, I'm so tired. Here's the thing. These are all examples of turning against a bit. It's open hostility against the person who's trying to get your attention. And you are either through anger or through frustration or through some mean-spirited sarcasm, you're basically saying your bid is not welcome here. And see, does that ever sound familiar to you? Does any of that sound familiar to you? The fact is, we've all done that before. And sometimes we can turn against a bid even without thinking about it. And see, notice that turning against a bid is so much about how we say something as much as what we say. But whether we do that intentionally or not, the fact is this. When someone close to you makes a relational bid to get your attention, to connect with you on an emotional level, and when you turn against them, the result is what? The person is hurt. And they feel rejected. They might even feel like that was such an uncalled for response. That was so unnecessarily mean and insensitive of you. And of course, that affects the relationship. And see, that doesn't mean that you have to give in every time they make a request. But that's about learning to turn people down gently with respect. If you would turn against your loved one's bids, don't be surprised if they turn against your bids later on. But if you will handle your loved one's bids gently, 
lovingly, with care, you can avoid all of that trouble. Proverbs 15.1 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's what happens when we turn against a bid. There's a third way we can respond to people's relational bids. It's to turn away from the bid. And this is where you don't actively respond either positively or negatively to that person's attempt to get your attention and to connect with you on an emotional level. Instead, you just ignore it or you just act preoccupied. You pretend you didn't hear it. For example, husband says to wife, good morning, wife, no response. Mom yells, kids, dinner's ready. Kids, no response. Child says to dad, daddy, can you play with me? Daddy doesn't respond because he's so focused on his phone. You say to your friend, hey, this is funny. You should read this. And the text goes out, but you don't get any response. You know, wife texts her husband, honey, you won't believe what your daughter did today. Text back, did my sister call? See, these are all different little ways that we turn away from a a person's bid. And the fact is, we've all done that too. Now, in isolation, none of these things might seem like that big a deal. But let me tell you this. Over time, if this becomes your habitual way of interacting with your loved one, where they make a bid and you ignore it, you act preoccupied, guess what? It is incredibly damaging to the relationship. See, it's not hard to see why. For example, research shows that young kids who grow up in homes where parents often turned away from their bids, they will end up lacking confidence and a sense of security. They'll end up having developmental issues later and have struggles in their relationships even more. And you're going to find this. Whenever you turn away from someone's bid, what's the message you're sending to that bidder? The message you're sending is your bid is not important or you're not important. And that can be so damaging to the bidder, whether the bidder is a child or it's your spouse or it's a friend or it's a coworker or it's a sibling. And over time, that person might feel like, you know, why should I even bother bidding anymore? Because I'm just going to be rejected anyway. And see, in fact, they say that even among happy couples, that among happy couples, when one partner bids the other and the other person turns away from their bid, only 20% of those partners who made the bid will actually try to bid in the same way again. That's even for happy couples. It's because it hurts to be turned away. Even Jesus, who was a single man who never married, he was familiar with this kind of hurt and rejection. Matthew 23, 37, he writes this, and he's not talking just to one person. He's talking to a city that he feels has rejected him. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those sent to you, how often I've longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. You see, the Gottmans, they found that with most of the couples that they studied over the years, that couples that habitually turned against each other's bids would end up divorcing in the end. Most of them would. But not as quickly as couples that would habitually turn away and pretend I didn't hear anything. It's almost like you would rather have an angry response than no response. It's almost like you'd rather that person turn against than turn away. Because when they turn against, at least you know that they're listening. At least you know that they acknowledge your presence. When you turn away, it's kind of like, you don't even know, you you act as if I'm not even here. It's almost like I'd rather get an angry response from you than feel like I don't exist at all. And see, here's the thing. A lot of people, we live under this misunderstanding. Is that when it comes to me and my loved one, our normal day-to-day interactions don't really matter that much. Because, you know, we always love each other. We're there for each other. It doesn't really matter how we talk to each other day-to-day. That could not be further from the truth. Let me tell you what the truth is. 
every interaction that you have with your loved one impacts the relationship, especially how you respond to relational bids. Because whether you know it or not, whether you are single, you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed, you're in transition, the fact is this, every day we are actually building or destroying our relationships one relational bid at a time. So how can we learn to connect better? Let's end with that today. Let me give you three ways to connect better with your loved one. The first one is this. Don't assume that you are too busy to connect with your loved one. Oh, there's just no time in the day. There's no time in the week. I'm just so busy. She's so busy. He's so busy. We don't have time. Don't say that. Because the fact is this. Every day has opportunities to connect if you would be willing to look for it. Psalm 118.24 says it this way. It says, this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. What does it mean to rejoice and be glad in a day? What does that mean? Part of it is that, practically speaking, it's about recognizing every day contains opportunities for me to learn to love, to love God, to love people, rejoice in the day. And see, some of those opportunities, we have to go out of our way to create. And for example, let me just talk to married couples right now, though, if you're not married in this place, I think you can quite easily apply a lot of these principles to your own relationships as well. But to married people in this place, let me talk to you right now. If you want to create opportunities to connect with your loved one, let me give you a few suggestions on how to do that. Number one is have a regular date night with your spouse. I encourage you to try to go once a week if you can. Is a time that you set aside just between the two of you not to talk business, not to talk kids, not to argue about schedule or money, but it's to just have fun together like you used to when you first met. It's about investing in the relationship. It's about having a date night. If not a date night, a date morning or date afternoon or date middle of the night. Whatever it looks like for you that works for your schedule. Have a date night once a week. Another one is this. Take a moment every day to check in with one another. One thing that you know, Charlene and I will do every day is that sometime in the middle of the day, we will call each other up and we'll say, hey, just check and see how your morning's going, how you've been doing. And I find it's so important to do that because what you're doing is you're saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. And you can, you know, if, if you don't find that it's workable for your schedule to do a spontaneous call, instead you pick a time that works for both of you. Maybe it's before bedtime or maybe before the kids get up. And what you do is you just check in with one another. Hey, what are you looking forward to today? What scares you today? What do you need from me today? You're checking in with one another. You're connecting with one another on an emotional level. Here's another one. This is my favorite one. And this one you got to get ready for. Married couples, are you ready for this next one? Are you sure you want to hear it? Are you sure? Okay, here we go. This is what I call our hug and kiss challenge. All right, here we go. Is before you leave the house, try to hug and kiss your spouse. In other words, when you hug and kiss your spouse, you want to do so intentionally. In fact, I want to encourage you to do this, is when you hug your spouse, don't just hug a quick hug or a buddy hug, but instead hug for 20 seconds. 20 seconds, all right? And when you kiss, don't just, but do a six-second kiss. All right? All right, will you try that, married couples? All right? And, and, you know, there, and there's no magic to this. There's no science behind it. It's just a 20-second hug is better than a one-second hug. And a six-second kiss is better than a one-second kiss. Sorry, singles. I don't know how you apply this part, but you can try. You got your wise. You can figure out how you apply this part in terms of hugs and kisses. But it's about encouraging intimacy with one another. Are you guys ready for the hug and kiss challenge? All right. Don't try that right now. Well, you can if you really want to. But here's the thing. It's about creating opportunities 
to connect together. And see, while some opportunities we need to go out of our way to create, the fact is there are some opportunities that are just going to land in your lap without you even trying. And it's about how you respond to those opportunities. It's those small impromptu times when your loved one makes a relational bid to you, reaches out to you, wants to connect with you. Well, let's talk about that right now. See, number two, cherish your loved one's bids for connection. Let me tell you this. When I was in high school, there was this group of friends that I really wanted to kind of get in and be a part of. Wanted to look cool in front of them. I remember there was one day in high school when I'm trying to hang out with this group of friends and someone very dear to me comes up from behind me and they put their elbow on my shoulder. It was a nonverbal way of just saying, hey, I just want to be close to you right now. They put their, 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 their elbow on my shoulder. And because I was so concerned about how I looked in front of this group of people, you know what I did? I shrugged the elbow off. And I could even feel the elbow come down my back. And guess what? You know, as small as that was, I always regretted that. Because that person meant a lot more to me than any one of those people. And to this day, I can tell you this, that person has never bid toward me in that way ever again. And it made me realize something in a very, like, in a way that hit me hard, is that you want to cherish your loved one's bids for connection. You want to realize that every bid for connection that your loved one makes is precious. See, when we first meet someone, it's a new friend, maybe a baby in the family, we're so excited that they're here. And we're so attentive to every little thing they say or do. And whenever they make an even a small bid for connection with us, in return, we reply like with so much enthusiasm. And we're like the first ones to reply. We reply so enthusiastically. But then guess what? Over time, what happens? Over time, we get used to the person. Over time, we start taking that person for granted. And here's the thing. Sometimes we can get so used to having someone in our lives that we forget how to be a good friend to them. We forget how much they mean to us. And see, here's the thing about love. Love is not just a feeling. Love is going out of your way to be attentive to another person. And so, because love is about being attentive, can I encourage every single person in this place, regardless of what stage of life you're in, be attentive to the loved people in your life. Have your radar out for bids from your loved one. And when you see that they're trying to get your attention, trying to connect with you on an emotional level, don't turn away. Don't turn against as much as possible. Turn toward. That doesn't mean you have to give in to everything they want whenever they want. But what it means is this, is that when you turn them down, because there will be times when you have to turn them down, when you are busy, when you can't at that moment, you still acknowledge them in a loving, gentle way. So say you're working on that email at work and your loved one is on their phone and says, hey, that's interesting. They want your attention. How should you respond? Will you shut up? I'm trying to work. No, don't do that. Instead, you say, hmm, you know what? I'm curious about what you got there, but I've really got to send this out. So do you mind if we talk about this a bit later? That's good. No problem. You're being gentle and respectful to them. You're acknowledging them that way. Say your kid comes up to you, says, hey, daddy, can you watch this video with me? Hey, buddy, I'd love to do that right now with you, but I've got a meeting to run to. And so can we do this a little bit later? Is that okay? And they might still be disappointed, but if you would say that and keep your word later on, at least you're showing them that you value them, that you hear them, and that they matter to you. If you believe that, say amen. Philippians 2 verse 4 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. 
Cherish your loved one's bids for connection. Number three, we're going to close this with, with, with this one. Take care in how you make your bids for connection. Let me share with you another embarrassing story from my life, which is this. Uh, 20 years ago, when Charlene and I just got married, we were living in this tiny little apartment together, and I would often bump into things because, you know, it's a small place. And so I'd often bump into chairs and tables and all that stuff. And whenever I bump into something, I'd go, ow! And if, I, if, if Charlene didn't respond, or if I wasn't, you know, satisfied with her response, I would shout even louder, ow! And then she'd go, oh, are, are you okay? And what was that? That was me making a bid for connection, but in a really immature way. And see, here's the thing. We can all have great intentions when we make our bits. We can all want to be close to the person that we love. But if you're not careful in the way that you make your bid, you can actually cause more harm and pain for yourself and the people around you. In 20 years of marriage, one thing that Charlene and I have learned is that when one of us wants to be close to the other in any kind of way, on any kind of level, is don't assume that your loved one can read your mind because they can't. They're not you. You don't want to assume that they know exactly what you're thinking. So very often it's about learning to be vulnerable and clear about what you need. You know, James 4 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. And that's between us and God. But you know, you can apply a similar principle to our own human relationships. Sometimes you do not have because you don't ask clearly. And that's so important. Don't assume that that person already knows what you want or what you need. You need to express it. You have to be clear and vulnerable about it. You don't have to be mean about it, but you want to be clear. Turn to him and say, I need to be clear. I need to be clear. Here's another one. When you're making your bids for connection, take care in this other way. Avoid making bids in a negative, critical way. You know, let me tell you a story. There's a guy called Roger. He's a dad who spends a lot of time working out of town. He's often away on business. And while he's away on business, he's often missing his family, especially his 13-year-old daughter, Hannah. And each time he comes home from a business trip, he looks at Hannah and it's like she's grown one inch taller. And Hannah, on the, on, like, on the other hand, she also misses her dad. But ever since Hannah started high school, it's like there's just so much stuff on her mind, you know, stuff about friends, school projects, her badminton team, her future, just so much stuff that's going on in her mind that worries her. And so sure, she loves her dad, but her dad's no longer the top priority on her agenda anymore. And one night, you know, Roger, he's flying home from a business trip and he's looking in the newspaper and he sees this ad for an event called Cirque de Lune. Not Cirque de Soleil, but Cirque de Lune. It's a circus event. And it's this animal-free circus that's got all these amazing acrobats and costumes. And Roger thinks to himself, you know what? These tickets are super expensive. But man, Hannah would love this. Especially because it's an animal-free circus and she's always talking about animal rights. I think she'd love this. And so what does he, does? He, what does he do? He tears out the ad from the newspaper. He puts it in his pocket. And at breakfast the next morning, Roger approaches his daughter, Hannah. And to dramatize for us what happens next... Here, let's welcome Roger and Hannah right now. Would you give them a big hand together right now?
Morning, Daddy. Hey, sweetie. Yeah. Um, there's a new show in town called Cirque du Lune. Have you heard of it? No. What's that? It's a circus. Daddy, you know how I feel about circus. No, no, no. This one is different. There are no animals. It's more like theater.、Um, lots of costumes, acrobats. It's really supposed to be something, and I think you will like it.、Mm, maybe. Yeah. So I'm thinking. I want to get tickets for the both of us.、Um, say next Saturday night. Wait, next Saturday? What? You got a hot date or something?、Uh, no, it's just that nice、um, Rachel slumber party. Um, I think she has slumber parties all the time. Come on, that's the only night that I'll be in town while the circus is here. But I really want to go to Rachel's party. You girls have parties every single weekend. No, we don't. Okay, maybe not every single weekend, but come on, I think this is something special you and I can do together. But I just don't want to go that night. Why? Are your friends more important than me now? No, that's not what I mean. It's just it's Rachel's party, and she never invited me to one before. Okay. You know what? If that's high priority for you, fine. Just go. What? So now I'm in trouble? No, you're not in trouble. Just disappointed. We don't really get to spend time with each other anymore. Well, and that's supposed to be my fault. It's not your fault. It's nobody's fault. You know what? Forget that I mentioned about the circus. Just go to your party. What happened there? So you got Roger, who's got great intentions, wants to spend time with the daughter that he misses. He goes out of his way to make up this plan, but the problem was that Roger wasn't sensitive to where Hannah was at, and instead he made a bunch of assumptions. Oh, you always go to these parties, or you're prioritizing them over me, and you know, fine, just go to your stupid slumber party. And he started talking very critically and negatively, and all of a sudden, what was a well-intended relational bid becomes an argument. And what if Roger had tried to do things a little differently? What if he'd taken the time to actually listen to where Hannah was at, and maybe not be so quick to judge or assume what was going on? What if he took the time to listen, and maybe instead of insisting on having everything done exactly his way, have a like have a mind toward having a a creative solution that works for both of them, and lay off the critical negative language? What would happen then? Maybe things would be a bit different. Maybe something like this. Hey, Hannah.、Hmm? You want to grab that flyer from my suit jacket over there? Yeah. Oh, yeah, she looks pretty cool. Yeah, right.、Um, I'm thinking. Well, how about I'll get tickets for the two of us, just you、yeah. and me, next Saturday night. Wait. Next Saturday. What? You got a hot date or something?、Uh, no, it's that nice Rachel slumber party. Her slumber party. I'm sure she has slumber parties every single weekend. That's the only night that I'll be in town while the circus is here. But I really want to go to Rachel's party. Whose party? Rachel. She's the new girl who Dana's always hanging out with. 
then I think she's really cool. Dina? You mean your best friend, Dina? Yeah. And Dina's always spending the night there at Rachel's with Kelly and Amy as well. So, is this Rachel's first time to invite you to her party? Mm hmm. Yeah. And it's important for you because you like to spend time with Rachel, Dana, Amy, Kelly. Yeah. I was feeling like they don't like me anymore or something. But I think Rachel just doesn't know me that well yet. So I really want to go to the party. I'm just a little disappointed. That is the same night as the circus. Mm, me too, Daddy. The circus does look very neat. And I appreciate that you want to take me out. Of course, I want to take you out. How about this? We can do something during the day, and you can go to this,、um, the party at night. Yeah, really? Yeah. And then maybe you can take mom to the circus instead. I bet she will really like it. I think that's a great idea. How about this? You think of something that we can do together on Saturday afternoon and just you and me, okay? Okay, sounds like a plan. Thanks, Daddy. By the way, you want to see my real hot date? Can we give Roger and Hannah a big hand right now? A big thank you to David and Sophie who played that father and daughter team. Didn't they do a fantastic job? Oh, come on, one more time. Let's give it up for them. Did so well. So, in that latest exchange, Roger didn't get what he was exactly bidding for. But he did get what he was ultimately bidding for, which is time with his daughter, Hannah. And not just that, but he got to do something that so many parents rarely do, which is to show that he, as a father, is interested in his daughter's world and that he really does want to understand what she's going through and what she's feeling. That is called learning to connect better. See, what's the lesson there? Is that we want to take care in how we make our relational bids to others.、So、you want to avoid making bids in a really negative and critical way. That's why Ephesians 4 29 says it this way it says, read it with me, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. You want to avoid that negative talk, that critical talk, because that's not going to get you anywhere. Another thing is, don't just focus on what you want when you're making the bid, but understand where your loved one is coming from. And especially if you find that your loved one is being difficult and you just don't understand why. They're acting up, they're being difficult, they're saying some tough things for you to hear. You want to try to see past the surface of what they're saying and what they're doing, and instead try to understand what's going on beneath the surface. Is there a fear they're holding? Is there a desire? That they're not telling you about? Is there a need that they have? Is there you know, a hurt that they're holding on to? 
And so if you're able to do that and look past the service, you'll be that much more on your way to learning to connect better in both giving and receiving relational bids. If you believe that, would you give God some praise in this place together right now? Praise God. Once again, a big thank you to Sophie and David for performing on the stage. Right now, I'm going to ask you to do something. We'd all stand to your feet. And we're going to invite the band. Rachel, they're going to lead you in a song. After that, I'm going to lead you in prayer. Let's make the most of this moment. Let's draw near to God. And I'm going to lead you in prayer after that. One of the things that I'm hoping that you will get from this message today is to realize that love is so much about simply paying attention. And when you study the Bible, you're going to find that God pays attention. You know, it says in Psalms that He discerns you're going out and you're lying down. In other words, He's always watching you. Before a word is on your tongue, He already knows about it. It says, Jesus even says, that even the hairs on your head are numbered. It's because God cares about you and He pays attention to you. He loves you. And you know, they sometimes say, the devil is in the details. I would submit God is in the details. God is in the details of your life because he loves you. And here I'm telling that we're talking about relational bids. Can I tell you this? The greatest relational bid, the greatest bid for connection that there has ever been is the cross where Jesus Christ died. Is that when each one of us, the Bible says, had turned away from God and turned against God. When each one of us had turned away and against God and separated ourselves from God, such that there's no turning back, there's no getting back to God. God didn't turn against us. God didn't turn away from us. Instead, he turned toward us. He turned toward us by bringing someone to us called Jesus Christ, who showed us what God is like. A God who doesn't turn away or turn against, but a God who turns toward. And not just that, but not only did Jesus show us through his life, but he showed us even more through his death. How he died on the cross, stretched out his arms to pay for our sins, to let us know, this is how much I want you. This is how much you mean to me. This is how much I want to be connected to you emotionally, spiritually, not just now, but forever. This is my love for you. And that is the cross. The cross where Jesus died is the greatest bid for connection that there ever was. And and because, because God is love, can I tell you this? If you need help when it comes to relationships, because God is love, then you need God's help when it comes to relationships. And if you realize that today, then I want to encourage you to pray a prayer with me right now. And that's a prayer to ask Jesus Christ into your life so that real love can start living on the inside of you. And it's just with that in mind, that here on site and online, if you want to pray that prayer, I just encourage you right now just to lift your hand to God right now. Let the height of your hand reflect how much you need Him. And one of our team members might come to you with a little card with a prayer on it. Same thing online. Those of you here online, you want to click the link that's in your chat room, scan the QR code that's on your screen, and you can take a look at that prayer as well. Those of you need to pray a prayer like that today, you want God to come in with His peace, His forgiveness for your life. Would you lift their hands to God right now? Lift them high and let this be your moment to just go to God and say, God, I need you today. And would we do this together right now? Let's all pray this in support of those praying it for the first time. Let's pray this out loud right now with me. Say, Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus thank, you thank you that because you love me, that because you, love you me, died on the cross. To pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you 
please forgive me of all my sins and please fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer, then the Bible says you are forgiven of your sins. You are reconciled and brought back to God in relationship with Him, not based on what you do, but based on what Jesus Christ has done for you. It's a brand new start. It's a new beginning. You're a new person on the inside out. And with that in mind, we encourage you to, you know, continue to come to church. Keep on growing your relationship with God. In fact, we got a little gift to give those who prayed that prayer just now. You can take that card that you received, bring it to the welcome tent. We'd love to give you that gift that way. Online as well, you can click the link that's in your chat room. We'd love to give you that gift to encourage you as well. And on top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Everyone say baptism. Baptism is not a graduation. Baptism is a beginning. It's you simply saying, I know I'm a sinner who needs a Savior, but I thank Jesus Christ for dying on the cross for me. And so we encourage those of you who made that decision today to ask Jesus into your life. Your next step is to get baptized. For more info on baptism, go to mythrow.info. Press the baptism button. We'd love to help you with that. We even got baptism Sunday later on today. Praise God. Hello everyone! Welcome to Thrive Church. My name is Kathy and it's so great to be here with you guys today. Before I let you guys go, I have a few announcements for you. If it's your first time here, we would love to get to know you better, so please visit mythrive.info and click New to Thrive to fill out the Connect card and we will mail you your very own Thrive Stainless Steel water bottle if you join us online. If you're on site at Lee Pond Place, we'd love to connect with you personally. You can pick one up at the Welcome Center tent right outside of the main entrance door after service. Here at Thrive, we love to say, much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. And no prayer, no power. Tuesday Zoom prayer meeting is the engine room of Thrive Church. And we wanna invite you to come join us every Tuesday night at 8.30 p.m. over Zoom for a time of worship and prayer. To join the prayer meeting, the direct Zoom link is available at mythrive.info. Last but not least, if you're not currently part of a small group or a serving team at Thrive, we highly encourage you to join one. This is the best way to meet new friends, pray, support, and to have fun with one another. To sign up, visit mythar.info. That's it for this week. I hope you all have a great day. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythar.info. If you're new here today, we can't wait to meet you outside at the Welcome Center tent. Have an amazing Sunday afternoon, and I'll see you all next Sunday at Thrive Online or on site. Bye!